Happy 100th anniversary. Happy Rankcast Day to you. It's about two and a half years since we started this. Something along those lines. Yeah, I think we are in our fourth season of the Rankcast existing. Is that right? I think we started it at the beginning of the 2009-10 season. Right, okay. So this is this is our third season of, of the Rankcast. And during that time, we've we brought you joy, tears, goals, and uh, apparently, in our first episode, a discussion of how United overly reliant on Park Ji Sung oh dear <laughs> well yeah we were basically saying that you know there's a bit of a problem when Fergie plays Park on the wing because uh, we lack a bit of creativity even though he's very effective destructively I'm almost 100% sure we had that conversation on last week's podcast so some things never changed there was also a discussion of how many games Ryan Giggs would able to be able to sustain through a season and uh, the immortal question will Michael Owen replace Cristiano Ronaldo's goals yes and I think I even on that uh, first episode talked about Michael Owen's potential to score goals and said if he got five in the Premier League season we're probably doing alright so has he actually got five in the Premier League season yet? I'm not sure and you also said I think he's going to play about 20 games this season I'm not sure he's played 20 games for United yet has he? Yeah <laughs> well there you go um, we talked about Cristiano Ronaldo's departure of course that being the big drama of that particular summer. Yeah and you said it would be completely crazy for the Glazers not to reinvest that all in players. I did say that was completely crazy was it completely crazy yeah also in that first episode I I, I described uh, Rooney and Berbatov as a match made in heaven in a as a front two in a 4-4-2 pretty sure that has not come to pass we we got in early on the we are terrible at predicting results train when you predicted that the away fixture at Burnley in the second game of the season was a was part of a nice start to the season that that didn't go so well I seem to remember and also we were a bit concerned about United's lack of bite in the centre of midfield You, you decried the lack of a keen type yeah it's something of a broken record these past 100 episodes <laughs> yeah so i can't believe we've got more listeners than we did then because we've basically just been saying the same thing every week in fact maybe, maybe we'll just put out episode one next week and see if anyone notices yeah <laughs> they might do they might do when we we talk about how carlos tevez and cristiano ronaldo have just left the club okay so on to current matters and united's three all draw with chelsea last week and that was a stunning game wasn't it and uh, pretty bizarre in a way because united was so dominant for such long periods of that game and yet found themselves 3-0 down just after half time it's a really interesting mirror to the first game of between us uh, at Old Trafford earlier this season which was also a completely crazy game ended 3-1 but there would have been a whole load of different score lines that would have been accurately reflective of what actually happened in that game and this weekend's game against Chelsea was, was similar I mean 3-0 kind of a fair result 3-0 to us would have been a fair result I mean I think 3-0 to them would obviously have been ridiculous given given how we came back into it at the point at which we were 3-1 down and Fergie took off Raphael to bring on Skulls I was just completely baffled by that substitution and the idea of watching Valencia play it right back for the rest of the game was just too painful to contemplate but then we very soon scored our second yeah it was it was slightly odd substitution at the time time wasn't it because uh, Valencia was playing great I mean he's United's principal threat and Rafael was having a good game as well certainly not his fault any of the goals and so the the, the question was why move two things around that of the things that weren't working were working did that make any sense just about so it was slightly odd but but actually uh, Valencia ended up being uh, an additional attacking unit anyway and United really gambled by basically throwing six players forward at any one time and, and it could have really backfired I mean remember what happened in the City game at Old Trafford when Ferguson's side tried something similar. Uh, this time at least we had 11 men and it came off and a couple of penalties certainly helped. One of them certain, the foul on Evra. Uh, the other, the foul on Welbeck, uh, certainly bought by the striker, although that's a, that's a penalty that will be given almost always by the referee. And a fine goal for the equaliser and, and the least United deserved for the performance, I thought. It was a really, it was a fascinating day all round. Going 3-0 down was such a shock. I mean, we, we had not been playing like a side that was about to go 3-0 down. Evra kind of at fault for perhaps two of the goals. He was beaten kind of easily by Sturridge in the box, although I actually think Sturridge did a pretty nifty little shift of his weight to throw Evra the wrong way and kind of made it look worse than it was. But then he was wildly out of position for the goal when Torres put in a beautiful cross to Mata for a stunning finish. And you could argue that perhaps some defender should have been somewhere near Mata as well, although it did all happen very quickly. 
someone should have been near Mata, but of course the first rule is to cut out the cross and Nevra was about five yards away. It wasn't even close. I mean, and a, a top quality player of which Fernando Torres used to be one and, and can uh, still produce the occasional moment of brilliance uh, is able to put in a cross with half a yard worth of space, let alone five. I mean, that was criminal. Yeah, I mean, it was extremely poor. But then, I, and I, I have long since lost confidence in our ability to come back into games like this. It, it's not the United of 99. It's it's a, a new breed of player. So I was incredibly impressed by the way United dug in, uh, very much led by a kind of fighting effort from Wayne Rooney. His first penalty dispatched absolutely expertly. We talked about his shaky penalties and, and his refusal to kind of blast them at the top corner. Right, yeah. And he sure did blast that one at the top corner. I mean, oh, geez. It wasn't that far from, you know, doing a waddle and still being in orbit, was it? I mean, he, he definitely put his foot through that one and, and very coolly taken second penalty. Uh, complete contrast in a way. Just side-footed it into the corner and sent, sent check the wrong way. And that third goal, we made Chelsea's defenders look extremely silly. And if you watch it in the slow motion replay, which I would urge everyone to do because it looks fantastic. I mean, Chichi's header in slow motion looks absolutely brilliant. There's his head's so low and there's so much power and accuracy goes into the ball from from his neck muscles through his head. Um, The Chelsea defence looks awful in slow motion. If you watch it at full pace, actually, they were just completely murked by Chicharito's movement. Not hard for Chicharito to make central defenders look silly by finding more room than should be readily available. Right, yeah, when he manages to stay on side, which of course his first involvement after coming on was to uh, be immediately offside. Interesting afterwards, Ferguson said that perhaps he should have started Hernandez and uh, rather than Welbeck, who I actually thought had a pretty decent game, uh, even after he was shifted to the wing to accommodate Hernandez. And and so perhaps a backhanded compliment there in some ways. Uh, But uh, saying that, Hernandez, great movement. He's a good header of the ball. Uh, fine header didn't didn't give the keeper any chance and and the, the only disappointment after that was that with seven minutes to go plus four minutes of injury time that United seemed to sink back into the, the shell after that and Chelsea actually had the two best chances in those last five minutes to win the game when really all the momentum was with United and you kind of thought that the Reds would go on and win the game the same thing happened to Liverpool in the in the Champions League final when they came back to three all against AC Milan uh, although you could definitely argue that AC Milan side was probably better than the Chelsea side we played at the weekend there's something that happens when you come back to parity from 3-0 down it's it's quite a shock to the system you know it's it's no wonder that they lost some of their momentum and it did allow what might end up being one of the absolute moments of the season to come to pass uh, last week on this show I had a lengthy conversation and you said you know say what you want about you didn't say in these exact words but say what you want about Lindegaard and De Gea and their relative merits but one of them has the potential to be a world-class keeper and that's David De Gea and he showed some of that potential with a save that no other goalkeeper in the Premier League would have made I don't think well I mean I think I think it's a fair argument he's obviously one that cannot be disproven but um, it was a stunning save from Matter's free kick and, and that's David De Gea all over isn't it the athleticism speed of movement he was actually a, an awful long way the other side of the goal and, and you might look at that and say well he's, he's kind of out of position there but his foot movement is brilliant his athleticism his, uh, he got up he, he went in the old style of coaching with the wrong hand the top hand although that's the modern way isn't it and and uh, the, I love the still of uh, De Gea left hand firmly by his side right hand reaching over which is uh, definitely not the way they'd have done it in the olden days but but perfectly effective and, and a, a, a absolutely brilliant save yeah kind of physics defying one of those quantum moments in football where Mata both did and did not score at the same time because of David De Gea it just looked it looked all over didn't it a, a stunning stunning save so I mean aside from that I mean it praised you for Wayne Rooney's performance I thought uh, he, I thought he was brilliant in the second half just the movement dropping deep he's bringing players into the game his energy and dynamism Chelsea's defence just couldn't cope with and that, that's kind of Wayne Rooney we really want to see I, I, he, he obviously scored two penalties didn't actually get on the score sheet from open play but but he did absolutely everything else I thought he was the real pivot around which United's attack was built upon and in defence um, we've talked about Patrice Ever a lot of criticism there but, but some static defending as well as Evers, and that's going to be a concern. United certainly can't keep conceding three goals and expect to win the title. In fact, that was a point made by my friend Joe at Joe Diego 24 when we played Arsenal and we beat them 8-2. He said, you know, you're not going to be able to put eight past everyone. You're probably going to have to defend better than that at some point in the season because we actually defended really quite badly in that game. Yeah, it's a real concern because I, I don't really see it improving. There, there is no competition for Patrice Evers' 
shirt and I'm not actually advocating that he's dropped anyway because he's got so much quality and that's one of the frustrating things you just kind of wish he'd come out the funk and, and I think we actually talked about it on last week's show that we thought he had it in a way because he had such a good January after the, the Suarez affair verdict came in in late December that maybe some pressure was lifted off ever and he, he had his best best month of football for quite a long time I thought And but, but in the last two games obviously the Liverpool game and all the pressure there and the fact that uh, whether he was mentally or physically shattered by the end he let Dirk Coit just run past him unchallenged to score the winner and then there's, there's three goals against Chelsea of which he was involved in all three in a, in a, in a way that can certainly be criticised and uh, so that's a real concern uh, Fernand's not getting any younger he's definitely not as mobile as he used to be and, and the others are all extremely inexperienced and that shows sometimes yeah I mean you lose the Manu Vidic your season's going to be more complicated defensively than it would otherwise yeah I, I heard somebody say today you know it's it's pretty much neck and neck with City if Vidic was in the side it, it wouldn't be neck and neck we'd be blowing this league away it's a fine argument and one, one again hard to disprove but yeah if United had played like they they played for the first month of the season then, then absolutely I mean Vidic was immense and, until he got injured immense through the autumn even through some difficult games where United's performances suffered although the results were very good and, and, and obviously all the other injuries have caused problems as well I mean particularly cleverly but also Anderson I guess because the, the rhythm he found with cleverly had, had brought the best in, out in Anderson for the first time in sort of four years or so uh, and so yeah without the injuries um, it might, may well not be so close at the top and City have conspired to allow us to keep in it is a miracle really I think given given at times there have been 11 players out and given the, the um, paucity of real high quality in the squad anyway it is an incredible achievement and Alex Ferguson just goes from one incredible achievement in football management to another doesn't he it's that's just 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 what he does well you could say England would love to recruit him wouldn't they after the the uh, debacle of Fabio Capello's resignation this week uh, absolutely no chance of that they've tried twice before and uh, he's given the FA very short shrift there's uh, not a hope in hell that England will be recruiting uh, Ferguson even on a temporary basis to take them through to the Euro 2012 so what did you unless you have any final thoughts on the Chelsea game what did you what do you make of the whole Capello thing yeah, I know I know last week we talked about Terry and and we're not turning this into England cast by any by any means but it does it does impact on United because it's uh, it's an extension of the racism in football debate which we've covered so many times here and, and Ferguson's had some quite strong words to say this week in support of Capello yeah and and I think he's misguided to be supporting Capello over this particular incident I mean guess what I don't think what Pella said was right I'm sure anyone that's paid any attention to the rank cast over the last hundred episodes or even the last five episodes wouldn't be particularly surprised by that I I think there is a there is a complexity given the presumption of innocence I think the way that the captaincy nonsense was handled last time out right. over something much less serious in in real terms although perhaps much as perhaps as serious in terms of what it does to a dressing room whatever one of those is they're very touchy aren't they dressing rooms of all, right, of all the different yeah. types of rooms they're like oh got the hump now I've, I've lost faith in my manager of course going back to the Chelsea game a dressing room that was according to Ferguson absolutely freezing a bit sly of Chelsea maybe they didn't pay the electricity bill. I reckon it's some sort of not being able to get enough gas to from because of some falling out with the Ukraine on Abramovich's part something like that anyway Mm. Um, yeah, I, I I just think John Terry's been accused of racially abusing a fellow player and had the trial put back until after the European Championships. He probably shouldn't be allowed to play for England while that criminal case is ongoing. Right, I agree. And and it was the FA's stance with Woodgate and Bowyer, remember, oh, 10 years ago now. So. Yeah, and, and if John Terry had been accused of kicking someone in the head, I suspect it would have been the FA's stance again. But racism is not taken seriously enough in our society that there is this sense and I, re- I really am in a, in a way I really am kind of sorry to keep going on about this every week and, and really really hope that we don't keep talking about this for the rest of the season because people start to get their acts together a bit but the res- the, the response of the masses uh, Chelsea fans booing Rio Ferdinand and Liverpool fans booing Patrice Evra is really indicative of how thin the veneer of civilization is over uh, our society when it comes to race relations right yeah 30 years ago black 
black players couldn't play without getting overtly racially abused by the opposition players, presumably their own managers in some instances, and and definitely opposition crowds and and indeed home crowds. And so things are better than they used to be. I mean, you know, when when England first had a black player in the side, there was kind of outcry. And not that long ago, England had a team that was made up of more black players than white players. And and so so things have definitely changed. But there is still a huge problem, and people don't understand what a serious problem it is. Yes, the Suarez incident and the Terry incident have highlighted how thin that um, veneer is, as you called it. And I think um, the the behaviour of Liverpool fans has been generally pretty disgraceful, and we've talked about it and egged on by Dalglish, and there are parallels between Dalglish and Capello, and the behaviour of Terry uh, supporters at Chelsea has been equally as disgraceful. I mean, booing Rio Ferdinand because he's the brother of somebody who hasn't even actually made a complaint. As uh, member of the public, uh, Anton Ferdinand still maintains he had, did not hear anything, and that that trial will be heard with evidence from other parties. So it, it's just mental, uh, and and for Capello to stand by Terry in those circumstances just kind of shows him. To to be completely out of touch with reality and out of touch with the mood in the country or at least the mood in the media and the mood at the FA um, with regard to racism and, and the issue here is is definitely not Terry's guilt or innocence uh, for the FA the issue is the imped- potential embarrassment and we, we again we spoke about that last week and, and you can't airbrush history if if Terry by some miracle lifted that trophy and was captain you could never remove that that's uh, not going to go away and the seriousness of the charge is such that I personally believe that Terry should have no part in the England team until found guilty or innocent and and that won't prejudice his trial at all that's just to say it's like being suspended from work while an investigation takes hold and it's it's taken an awful long time but it's taken an even longer time because Terry's club don't want him to be appearing in court during the season now now Terry I assume has got a very good lawyer because he's he's a very wealthy man and I'm quite sure he will have been advised he certainly should have been advised that this would have been extremely difficult and extremely politically embarrassing for the FA to, to not act. They had to act. There was no other choice. And Ferguson's support for Capello is because uh, the manager has been undermined. But it was a decision that Capello could not make or clearly would not have made on his own. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm very critical of the FA. But but in this, this circumstance, they did absolutely the right thing by demoting Terry. They really should have not had this halfway house. Uh, really, Terry should have no part in the England team until this is all cleared up. He may well be innocent, but that's for a court to decide. And uh, by by saying that uh, they're suspending him from England duties until that court has decided, it's it's certainly not prejudicing any trial. There's this very sort of strange thing that's happened in the wake of Capello resigning where some of your more kind of, I don't know, purist football supporters are kind of horrified by England having hounded out this great manager through jingoism basically that, that we've just been waiting for an opportunity to get rid of Capello and get some English bloke in and, and it is unfortunate that all that gets mixed in there a bit, you know, in the, in the post Capello debate you're hearing the phrase well I hope it's just I just hope it's an English manager one way or another which is obviously ridiculous although I also think there's a really strong argument that national teams should be managed by a person from the same country as the national team just as a rule yeah. across the whole of football so, so I'm one of the least nationalistic people I know and I, I really don't care much for jingoism at all and it's part of the reason I have trouble supporting the England team a lot of the time because of the nature of the I've been, I've been to several England games and uh, I've never really enjoyed it at all ever just uh, the people that sat around me so um, I, I, I do have a problem with that aspect of things I, I, it, Capello's going not because he's Italian but because he couldn't uh, he couldn't see the bigger picture here and realise that Terry position was completely untenable and he might not have liked being undermined but there was no other decision to make and that's why he's gone mixed in with it is uh, is all this stuff about the next England manager's got to be English and Capello didn't speak English and all that kind of stuff and that's really distasteful I have to say I still I still do agree with you I think international football if it's going to be based on national associations and it's, it's not some you know extension of club football then then it is about qualification and I, I don't really see why that that uh, there's any difference between uh, managers and players there uh, and uh, from that point of view yes we should probably have someone English and, and we'd probably deserve someone English because there's no one who is English who's even nearly as qualified as Capello and that's uh, there's some irony in that isn't well, there? Well there is except I think that Capello's done a pretty shoddy job as England manager 
I, I mean, as you said, we don't really want to talk, turn this into an England rant cast. And he's qualified for two tournaments, which isn't necessarily assumed. But the World Cup in 2010 was an unmitigated disaster. And the players obviously have huge responsibility for their just general, whiny, overindulged, kind of horrible attitude towards the England setup and all that kind of stuff. Um, but but equally, the, the manager is culpable for the performances on the pitch in some way. And I think Fabio Capello should have learned to speak English, not because I'm jingoistic and believe that English is a glorious language which everyone could speak. But if you're going to be paid £6 million every year to manage a group of people, you and, and you're not going to make them all learn the language that you speak, you probably should learn their language. I mean, I, you know, it's not impossible to learn a language. You, you're, you're an international manager. You've got some spare time. Well, yes, but he would have had to learn English and Scouse in order to deal with Wayne Rooney, wouldn't he? <laughs> Wayne, Wayne Rooney, who incidentally tweeted Harry Redknapp for me. Uh, so did so did Rio Ferdinand, which is which is interesting. No, because didn't, did he? Didn't I thought Rio just said, "Oh, this will be interesting. Let's see what happens now." Whatever. I, I thought he had, but yeah, it's it's interesting that some England players have come out uh, already like that because that kind of undermines the new man if it's not Harry Redknapp. I, I know everyone's assumed it would be Harry Redknapp for many many moons now, and that it was a job providing his legal issues were cleared up that he was going to take after Euro 2012 anyway but uh, Tottenham might not release him he he might have decided he doesn't want the job although I don't believe that for a second uh, but Tottenham would be well within their rights to say not while we're still in the hunt for the title uh, certainly not while we're still in the hunt for the Champions League and they, they presumably will qualify for that the, the wheels could really come off for Tottenham if, if they switch manager right now and, and uh, no one at the club will fail to notice that one they could well be difficult about Redknapp leaving be, if they're difficult about Redknapp leaving he wouldn't be able to take the job until the end of the season that's mid-May and he'll have like three weeks to prepare for the tournament so the FA could well decide that, that Redknapp's not the only option here and they, they'll look elsewhere the FA might decide Redknapp's not the only option but if they want an English man they're really going to have a problem if it's not Harry Redknapp aren't they oh well they've, they've backed they've backed down on that English or British now apparently uh, okay. I, I, actually, I actually think this is illegal see it's discrimination <laughs> telling me that if um, uh, you know Wackham Lowe uh, came out and said I really want this job you know he's built a brilliant Germany side or or um, Gus Hiddink came out and said I'd really like to say I mean who could turn Gus Hiddink down he's a man who who uh, almost always when Turkey was maybe the exception almost always uh, builds a side that's greater than the sum of its parts or any any other brilliant manager says I want this job and the FA says no sorry mate you're not English that's, a, that's illegal it is you're right you're right that would be that would be terrible but it, okay so English or British that there's not too many candidates are there I think clearly the number one candidate for the job has been horrendously overlooked yeah he's not really got any experience in top flight management but apparently he's got all his coaching badges and we've all been watching Monday Night Football all season we know that he knows more about tactics than anyone that's managed the England side since Terry Venables in fact maybe Glenn Hoddle did know a bit about tactics Uh, Gary Neville he's the man for the job Gary Neville is a red he manages England (laughs) oh geez after after this summer saying that it was a waste of time him playing for England that'd be an interesting one yeah clearly he's not stupid to actually take that job is he Gary Neville he's got very nice very nice position at Sky going on there no I I, I don't think I think look is there's, there's there's one man who's got tons of European experience he's worked with top players for many many years <laughs> he's played international football he wears the tightest shorts on the planet that's Mike Phelan clearly he is the man Phelan for England Phelan for England it's coming, isn't it? Uh, that, that's the logical choice. I'm not choice. joking either. I mean, get, get him out of Carrington quick. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm being cruel. He might be doing a brilliant job at Man United. He, he probably is. I mean, I, I've had this debate with people before and, and people with closer links into the training regime at United than me have said that he does do a very good job and he's an innovator and, and he just doesn't have the personality and Ferguson is not um, not one to praise him, uh, which he did with McLaren and Kiroz. So Phelan hasn't got that over praise. He hasn't got the same kind of personality and as a result he's kind of seen as something of a, a nodding dog and, and uncritical of Ferguson and he, he's he's quite dull isn't he in interviews and, and all of that so he doesn't come across well so I mean he's probably doing a very good job but it, it doesn't mean he's not a figure of fun and those shorts are just ridiculous 
And if he isn't doing a good job and he is just a kind of yes man for Fergie, that backs into my theory of uh, Fergie acting in his last days of dictator phase. You know, not talking to any of the press, getting increasingly out of touch, making, you know, more and more irrational appearing decisions and having a yes man as second in command. And and he repeated his mantra, uh, oft heard these days, that the most important man in any job is is the manager and said that in his defence of Capello. And yep, he, he believes he is Manchester United and and there is no difference between him and the club so yeah some of that is definitely coming in I mean the the thing is about the Capella situation it's not the same as a club manager and and Fergie defended him as part of that kind of managers union let's all stick together only football managers understand what football managers go through type of thing but he defended him over something that didn't warrant defending basically you know Capello should not have spoke he should not have said what he did because he wildly undermined whoever was going to be the next England captain he basically made it clear that you know the structure of the England team wasn't in his control it made it just made him look out of touch in 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 every possible way so it it was peculiar to see Fergie being vocal about it although you know there is always that thing about Sir Alex where you know it's known that the first he's the first person on the phone if a club manager gets sacked you know he's very supportive of managers all right he attends more funerals than anyone else too yeah I I mean I I just find it a little strange I, I I kind of think Fergie perhaps would have done better keeping out of this one and and Capello there was absolutely it's it's absolutely no defence for his actions at all I mean he he may have been angry about being undermined I mean it was a unilateral decision by the FA Council but uh, there's nothing else that could have been done and in in that Ferguson will have known that too I mean think of of the parallels at United if it ever happened that that, you know the United captain uh, Manja Vidic racially abuses someone or is accused of it and it's so serious that there's going to be a, a criminal trial United would be in a very difficult position they almost certainly wouldn't suspend their player and it would be very interesting to see what Ferguson would do about about the, the the player himself I mean the club would shut down in terms of communication so certainly wouldn't pull a Liverpool here but but would the player be suspended I mean it's a it's a it's an interesting question one I certainly don't know the answer to and, and hope it never has to be answered either yeah let's hope it doesn't but talking of answering questions I guess it's a good time as any to move on to some of our listeners questions this week well we're going to do something unusual in celebration of our 100th birthday <laughs> it's really not our 100th birthday but oh happy 100 rantcast day everyone um I've, I've asked a few people on twitter to fire in what their predictions are of what united will be like in another 100 rantcast time so that's two and a half three years down the line from now at vish mufc says that i will have been prosecuted extradited to a country with a death penalty after a treaty was ratified to do so for my blasphemous pun where everyone was playing cat footballers on twitter and i did eric can of tuna oh bad it's bad and and, and fair, fairly worthy of Ter- terrible terrible i'm not quite sure it warrants the death penalty but you know may- maybe a minor stoning and then he, he he goes on to say we should win at least one more champions league otherwise sir alex ferguson really will need some life extending medicine i don't see any signs of us winning another champions league within the next no. two and a half three years but i don't either although given that the uh, the edifice of barcelona's overwhelming superiority seems to be slipping i mean well behind Real Madrid in La Liga at the moment and some yes, considerable complacency getting in there. It means that the tournament is perhaps winnable for somebody else. And <laughs> We're not even in it, sadly. No, I know. I know. That, that is the, the problem we do have to address, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Next season, we do actually have to manage to get to the knockout stages if we want to do that. At Tim O'Bevan says, by episode 200, Mourinho will be in charge and on his way to his debut title with Welbeck performing as the world's best striker. Nice bit of optimism there. Um, I Oh, hey, which, which bit of that was optimistic? Yeah, well, we'll, yeah, we'll take the second bit. Yeah, Mourinho in charge in, in two, well, two years or so. Well, um, yeah, that might be pushing it a little bit, but yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't think Mourinho will ever be the United manager. I, I don't really know what basis I have to make that assumption, but there's just something about it. I mean, I think, I think if the financial situation changed dramatically, then my opinion would probably change on that quite dramatically. But I don't know. I just don't see it. Well, he's not universally supported in the boardroom that is for sure 
Oh, really? Um, although Ferguson and and Gill are probably you know, big sponsors of Mourinho, so yeah, no, he's definitely he's definitely not. There are people who do not want Mourinho at the club because of the circus he brings with it. So what what sort of faction in the boardroom is that? The non-Gill Ferguson faction. Uh, actually, don't know where Bobby Charlton is on this one. He's never actually said anything. No one's actually told me anything about it. But certainly some of the others uh, are not Mourinho supporters. But Bobby Charlton is a key player in that he's the facilitator between power, you know, the powers that be and. and the management team he, he owns no shares he has no real say uh, it's a it's not much more than an emeritus position but but he, he does have all those connections no one knows what the glazers think and of course uh, if they're still in charge in two and a half years uh, might not be you never know depends on the success of their ipo if and when it happens and and uh, if it's highly successful they'll probably be uh, more tempted to sell out the whole club rather than just the 20 25 percent that they're planning to so we'll see about that one um, i'd like to thank at written off underscore mufc who congratulates us on our 100 episodes and says nice things about the podcast and he says by episode 200 we'll still be debating why we have not signed any midfielders and this one will come up a few times between now and the end of the show Gigs and Skulls continue into their 40s pretty much universally assumed that in another 100 rant casts uh, Ryan Giggs and Paul Skulls will still be in the first team God, it, it really wouldn't surprise you two years down the line well Giggs is going to sign a new contract so we're, we're doing these pretty regularly now so we'll probably get 40 episodes out of season and so we're talking uh, the rest of this season plus two more so probably by episode 200 we get into the end of the 2013-14 season Gigs could well just be winding it down then yeah you never know <laughs> um, this might be my favourite this is from at MacJuice M-A-C-J-U-S Sir Alex Ferguson's disembodied head refuses to talk to any press players or other members of the human race <laughs> hashtag Rantcast200 I, I, I think yeah that, that's pretty much inevitable at NRMiller0102 says perhaps fans will have forgotten about Rain Davis and moved on to another nine-year-old there's hope for that boy <laughs> yeah is he is he the next big thing is he yeah is he, is he the next ravel morrison yes yeah, so i i confidently predict by episode 200 ravel morrison will still not have tweeted anything intelligible uh, you you have suggested that i might have quit in an emotional fit between now and the end of rank 200 if if i have it won't have been an emotional fit i'm pretty sure of that we know, we know your type you, for listeners who, who are new to this my co-host is uh half cheese eating surrender monkey you know he's one of those who likes a quit 100 episodes in he's still calling me a quitter at tom patterson comes up with the correct answer hoverboards the answer is always hoverboards yeah that's, that's, that's what's going to happen in 100 rank cast time you see i i know time travel doesn't exist because if time travel did exist someone in the future who could afford to create a time travel machine would have come back from the future to assassinate the glazer family because it's the right thing to know i didn't say that i am kidding of course of course at Bratt's book says the scariest position in the last 20 years uh, this is a slightly less optimistic view because that will be about the time that Fergie calls it quits interesting uh, interesting general topic actually whether whether Sir Alex will still be here in two and a half years I mean I, you wonder at some point you know he's getting older at some point his health's going to play a part in that because well, it, it, it has almost done before I mean of course he had a, that health scare that the news of the world uh, threatened to break and then did a deal with Fergie over so um, yeah he could well do I mean he's 70 right so he could have you know heart trouble he could have a stroke um, some people questioning his team selection might think he's already had one i mean seriously 70 is older than many people live to so he's doing extremely well to still be as healthy as he is right now yeah and uh, the, the thing about being the kind of person who thrives on stress as he clearly does and thrives on that high level of pressure is it takes a toll on your body because you might have a very well honed system which has learned how to deal with that pressure extremely effectively much more effectively than most people ever do but you're still bearing the weight of all those stress hormones on all your vital organs you know so anyway these but he's he's going he's going strong for now so i, I don't know Th- this is perhaps the most outlandish of all at no heroes here says wayne rooney will finally have decided what the heck to do with his in inverted commas hair i, I don't think he will i think i think two and a half years is not long enough for the lad yes well, he might have tried some spectacular new technology that, you know, laser melts in horse hair or something and, you know, gets himself a Kevin Keegan perm. That's my prediction. <laughs> or he, he goes the full Carol. Ooh, jeez. No, that's not good. <laughs> At Happy Hero, who's been with us pretty much since episode one of this whole shebang, says, Skulls and Giggs still playing with the smell of Ralgex in the dressing room. And then uh, Ronaldo returns with Mourinho in tow. I've seen so much talk of this. So much talk of, oh, Ronaldo's going to come back. I, I, I 
will be absolutely shocked if Ronaldo ever comes back to United. Yeah, I. That, well, yes, it will never happen. Oh, that's it. Just as simple as that. It's never going to happen. It's not going to happen and, unless it's in a scenario where he's run out of his contract and he can move. I, I just, I just can't see. It. I don't see the economics working. I cannot see United spending well more than sixty. I mean, the Real Madrid fans may be on his back and on Mourinho's back uh, because of the politics of that club, but they are scoring tons of goals, and he's the man scoring tons of goals. His performance levels have been in, incredibly awesome at Real Madrid. If it wasn't for Lionel Messi, uh, there'd be only one player on the planet we were talking about all the time. It'd be Ronaldo. So um, it doesn't make any sense for Madrid to sell him. Uh, it doesn't make financial sense for him to move. United are not going to match his post-tax salary, and United are not going to find a transfer fee. So yeah, let's kill that one. At underscore Devi eight gigs and skulls still in the midfield. Told you that one was coming back. At can they score? Says in two years' time, Sir Alex Ferguson will be announcing his retirement. At skt nineteen ninety four says he I believe United will either be one of the top teams in Europe due to investment by the Glazers or will be fighting as a mid-table Premier Club as we fail to fill gaps left by retirement and we sell our top players as we don't challenge for trophies however we will still hurt the Glazers P.S. Fergie will not be the manager and will be replaced by Big Sam or Mark Hughes oh sting in the tail of that one I I think two years is probably a bit soon for mid-table talks but there is definitely a path through the future which genuinely sees United in significant decline equally there is a path through the future which sees United as one of the top teams in Europe if not the best team in Europe again well look financial fair play should be good for United and if the IPO goes ahead and and the club becomes debt free or largely debt free then uh, there will be an absolute massive pile of money with which the club can go spend whether that will happen or the Glazers will continue to suck out money is a moot point isn't it I would suggest that it's probably the latter and it will take a takeover or a float or something of that nature for for the club to become a little looser with the purse strings and and to get back to that position of, of being the the leading club in Europe. I'm UFC Jeff says unfortunately he says he can see us struggling to attract top class players due to those wage restraints you were just talking about and the lack of transfer fees and I think we both we both can see that in the future for sure. Yeah. At Gaz Brown skulls and gigs centre midfield I reckon. Yep <laughs> it, it's happening. Mike Phelan will be wearing shorts in the snow because of the ice age from Global Warning. That's at Johnny B 7 Asian Hunk 707 says, Who will be the manager? Mourinho, Ole, Le Guen. <laughs> I love that old school United round shout out. And he asks whether Sir Alex will have a role at the club. I think that's a really interesting question, actually. Does I mean, you know, when Sir Alex Ferguson took over at Manchester United, Matt Busby still had an office at Old Trafford. And Fergie, of course, famously says he could... Sm- he knew when Sir Matt was in because he could smell the pipe smoke as soon as he walked in. And I think by the time Ferguson was the manager, having Sir Matt there was nothing more than an asset and, and a, a link to an enormous amount of experience and insight. And, you know, without that kind of overwhelming shadow casting right. that happened to the managers that took over straight after some yeah I don't I don't think Ferguson can stay I, I just think it would it would be complete and utter insanity and you'd, you'd have to be someone who's so strong personally that, that uh, Ferguson can possibly overshadow them and, and the only man who could actually pull that one off would be Mourinho of course and Ferguson before I said there's absolutely no chance he's going to do that I'm quite sure the club would like him to be involved in some capacity but but logistically it's very difficult and, and uh, they've talked many times about managing the process of transition and that would appear to be a pretty poor management decision if they did bring Ferguson into some kind of board position. Now, um, I've heard talk that United might think about appointing some kind of director of football head coach kind of structure post uh, Ferguson's departure. It could never happen under Ferguson because he needs, wants, requires uh, and has too much control for there to be any kind of director of football position but but on Ferguson going they could be Ferguson couldn't be the director of football because he would just be managing the team uh, there's, yeah. there's no one who could potent, possibly coach the team in that in that circumstance so so I can't see it I think it would be an extremely poor decision to keep him on not not because uh, he doesn't have enormous value uh, it's just that the manager who takes over will have zero authority at all I've been thinking about something it was of course the 54th anniversary of the Munich air crash since 
since we last recorded. It was. And, you know, it's a time for reflection for United fans, obviously. And it's sort of a shame that there isn't a Sir Matt Busby stand opposite the Sir Alex Ferguson stand. I wonder if that will is something that will come to pass in future years. And I, I, I would really like to see that happen. Well, yes, he's got his own road, of course. Yeah, that's pretty good, isn't it? Having your own road. I don't know if he needs a stand. I mean, he, he's so synonymous with the club and it would feel like a... It'd almost feel like an empty gesture now after all the, these years doing that. So, of course, if if United were ever to move to a new ground, they, they really ought to call it the Sir Matt Busby Stadium. Not that yeah. that will ever happen, of course. There's real, really no driver to move from Old Trafford. It's a, it's a large stadium, although uh, the Glazer family appears to have given up on, on expanding at all. But uh, but I, that's the only circumstance I could ever see. And of course, naming rights would then come into it. But I, I don't know. I, I think uh, the many statues and the Sir Matt Busby Road is is okay. Poor old Manju who's coming in next, of course, will sit in the dugout staring at the Sir Alex Ferguson stand all the time with 12 foot letters and we have spoken about that earlier this season walk, walk down some Matt Busby way to get to the Sir Alex Ferguson stand and think hmm these shoes are fairly large I, I think you know it's it's just worth repeating again and I, and I was about to say some of our younger listeners might not be so aware of this but at United it doesn't really happen because people do get taught the history we're both old men now Ed but but Munich is a, a long time before our time and yet it's you know you, you know the story stories as well as you know the stories of, of family history or anything like that you know it's a, it's a central part of the experience of being a United fan but so Matt Busby's achievement of building a team out of the ashes of that plane crash is it's like Muhammad Ali you know as it's 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 the the finest achievements in his field that's ever been done anywhere under the most incredibly challenging of circumstances it's it's a an absolute phenomenon that it ever happened it, it, it's a miracle almost well yes it's certainly an incredible achievement uh, done not with huge millions of finances and buying every player on the planet but but building again from uh, the the structure of the club that was there patching a team together for those first years I mean he said after the disaster that it would take five years to build a winning side and that's a, almost exactly what it took to win the FA Cup in 63 and you just said just previous to that 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 the stories get passed down and I think United have been they are good at that and as a club and the family is very good at that and I think family's also very good at doing that in a in a sympathetic way and and you often get the anyone but United crowd accusing United of exploiting the the Munich air disaster and I just don't see that and and I'm one of the first people to be critical of the club where they are crass in their commercialism and I don't for a minute believe that United has ever sought to exploit that for commercial gain or for worldwide polarity and and one criticism you can have still that uh, in the after Martha, the club didn't support some of the players after they'd retired or couldn't play again in the way they should have and it, it took many many years for that that wrong to be corrected in some small way uh, it's also important that uh, every year we kind of remember those stories and it's not just about remembering the dead in in some kind of cliched way it's also about remembering where our club has come from and and what it means and why when we protest against the Glazer family or against high ticket prices or over commercialization or the club forgetting the fans or treating players like pieces of meat why all of that does matter because uh, the, the club is an institution that's very old and and has been built on some extremely solid foundations here here lovely stuff nice nice to touch on that in the this centennial episode of the rank cast so I guess one thing that's less nice to touch on is a fixture against Liverpool where everyone will be all horrible for a day I'll feel sick by the end of it as I always do uh, uh, regardless of the results because I'll always care more about humanity than football and I think we're going to win though I think I, I think that we've got some players in really good form I think that that Chelsea comeback although we didn't turn it into three points it's still an absolutely remarkable comeback no team has uh, ever come back from 3-0 down at Stamford Bridge in the Premier League era Right and we could almost just repeat our preview from the other week for the Liverpool game it, it'll be a, it'll be a testy atmosphere a different of course very very different I mean Suarez will be there and he will get abused for very different reasons because of his guilt and culpability in, in racially abusing Patrice Ever and, and Doug Leach will get abused for his unswerving support of Suarez even in the face of uh, almost universal criticism and Liverpool fans will be there and they'll be trying to goad uh, United fans and, and it'll be the usual kind of Liverpool atmosphere with that added that added bit and then on the pitch Liverpool will play the same way they'll set up to defend United will pass the ball Liverpool will hit long balls they'll try and test the gear and it'll be 
be up to United to defend better and take greater advantage than than we did in that cup game. And and but I'm with you. I think United are playing well. I think they played well at Anfield. I think they played very well against Stanford, at Stanford Bridge. And I think I think it's a, a game we'll win. I think it'll be fairly comfortable as well. I I, I see United in good form uh, following the last couple of weeks, even if the results have been mixed. And I think we'll beat Liverpool fairly easily. Well, I, I'm I'm not so convinced it's going to be comfortable. Uh, one thing that I think is interesting is is does Paul Scholes start and play you know the the best part of the game because once again he was incredibly effective against Chelsea and and sad as it is as a reflection on on Glazernomics in general uh, having him back is phenomenal there was a brilliant tweet from Ezekiel Friars this week where uh, Tom Cleverley had been going ah oh, buzzing today our team was flying in training and Friars just tweeted at him only because you had Scholesy in your team <laughs> I love that it's brilliant I think he probably does have to start of the options Carrick will play and then the options are effectively Park, Giggs or Skulls for that other position so I, I think Skulls will start he didn't start against Chelsea it looks like Tom Cleverley will be on the bench then. that's great news isn't it it's really good news and hopefully United are, are in a comfortable position he can get 15 or 20 minutes unfortunately he didn't play the reserve game because it was called off this week and that's a real shame otherwise he might be in contention to start himself uh, yeah and it will be I mean assuming that he can hit the ground running form wise it's going to be really properly genuinely exciting to have him back in the side I mean forget all the like a new signing cliche but just like a really good player back in the side who's been out for a while absolutely and I mean not to blow my own trumpet but I did say some time ago now quite a long time ago now that he would probably be back for the Ajax double header which is might well be where he starts next Thursday Thursday nights on I was gonna say channel five it actually hasn't been signed up to a tv station yet this one so I think we're still waiting for this one six o'clock UK time for the hooray the perfect time to watch football there certainly is to rush home from work for that one and sadly not going to Amsterdam to watch it many United fans will be and I'll be having a fine time I would think yeah the Chelsea fans along with their incredibly vile booing of Rio Ferdinand also stole our song they were singing Thursday night's Channel 5 don't they know that it's us that's on Thursday night's Channel 5 not them they can't claim that glory no chance yeah, they've got Tuesday and Wednesday nights on ITV and Sky Sports they can keep that nonsense Thursday night's Channel 5 jealous that's what it is jealousy Europa exactly. League is where it's at everyone knows that I, it's, it should be a real cool fixture it's Ajax this is exciting I, I kind of went a little Steve there didn't a little Steve Ajax they're a very big club you know it's a very exciting fixture yeah for it's sure a great, great day for the fans very good sh- it's a great stadium <laughs> so I'm, I will stop now uh, in case we, I've just really upset some Dutch people sorry about that pal <laughs> they're a decent side Ajax they've, they've got some pretty good players they have they're not, they're not going great guns in the thirsty divisi um, so uh, they, they're a decent side I remember we spoke about how unlucky they were not to qualify uh, in the first place for the next round of the Champions League incredibly unlucky unlucky they were very unlucky yes luck well let's just say fortune wasn't smiling upon them certainly not yeah and Leon spanked oh, past San Belgrade yeah in a, in a completely totally fair fine fixture where there was no implication of wrongdoing whatsoever yeah absolutely so but across boardroom strife at Ajax this week uh, Johan Cruyff has been to court to block the Ajax council appointing Louis van Gaal <laughs> as the new general manager of the club and he didn't like this and he didn't like some of the changes that were being proposed to the youth setup and so on and he's gone to court and actually won and <laughs> And, and and Van Hal has been removed at least for the time being I, I don't know whether it's uh, it's definitely permanent or not uh, because the, the wrong process was, was fo- followed and yeah the real drama around Ajax at the moment I don't, I don't know whether it'll affect anyone on the actual pitch will it because the actual manager hasn't been affected and the, the players are all still there but but it's you know it's definitely going to be a focus taking their focus away from the game at hand it's a really extraordinary story I mean it is the equivalent of Mourinho being appointed and Bobby Charlton going to court to stop that from happening mm. <laughs> or I guess uh, if George Best was still alive it would be the equivalent of George Best doing it in some way. Real drama and very interesting and how the mighty have fallen I mean so well known through the world the three European Cup wins in a row in the 70s and that, and that famous youth academy which which doesn't produce the same level or quality of player as it used to and part of the reason why is because clubs from around Europe pillaged their academy at an even younger level I mean we stole Van Velzen from Ajax age 16 and so that's happening 
thing and and uh, the focus of course is on youth players at an even younger age because of the the cost differential then then it's uh, really really difficult for Ajax to still be competitive in what is a small market and therefore they're always going to generate less money than than all the bigger clubs yeah no, absolutely so how much of a full strength side will Sir Alex put out is he gonna really go guns blazing to try and win this tournament I can't see it can you I, I mean no no, it's, it's it's kind of interesting with this round in a way because there's no weekend game for United because obviously we are out of the FA Cup and we didn't care about that tournament either did we so United play on Thursday night but there's no weekend game so Ferguson doesn't have to worry about that no games until play Ajax on Thursday again but there is a game after that I think it's the Norwich game so it, it might well be that he plays a pretty strong side this time round uh, because he, he doesn't have to be that concerned and depending on the result he makes quite a few changes for the following game now, of course if the there are players coming back and particularly cleverly he'll definitely want to give him some time uh, because there are more pressing matters at hand in the Premier League uh, tough games against Tottenham and Norwich coming up yeah absolutely and I guess it you know obviously it all depends on how we come through the Liverpool game you know make sure that we not pick up any more niggles or injuries in that game um, absolutely so yeah well I guess it's time to lay our cards on the table and uh, do as we have done uh, 99 times before make incorrect predictions about the United scores in the week ahead I'm not quite sure we actually predicted scores in our first episode but let's have a go at doing it the hundredth time we're going to both get this we totally both predicted a draw against Chelsea though I think I think I definitely did. I think you did too. We both predicted a one-all draw. So, yeah, not quite spot on there. I, I think United are going to beat Liverpool 2-0. And I think we're going to go to, away to Ajax. And it'll be a nice open game where we're going to win 3-2. Let's be bold about it. OK, I mm, I think we're going to draw with Liverpool. I'm sorry. I hope... Ye of little faith. I, I know. I sw- be gone. It's, it's- Go quit, you quit. It is something that has happened to me. I have lost faith in this United side. You know, believe and all that. I, I just don't believe, even though the evidence is there right in front of my eyes in that Chelsea game. And and hopefully this will be another time when I'm I'm proved absolutely ridiculously wrong. But I think Liverpool will be ridiculously charged up as they are. It will, they'll play like it's the cup final. And I think it's going to be a draw. But that's that's my prediction for that one. I'm, I'll say a one-all draw. Um, and then okay. uh, Ajax, I think we're going to go to Ajax you're going to play some sexy football and uh, I'm going to do this action a lot that's my prediction for the week um, that just veered dangerously close to Sean Connery territory there but uh, my prediction for the game is 2-1 to United very good well it's been a pleasure doing this rank cast with you again Paul and for that 100th time actually now, strictly speaking it's only the 99th time that we have done the podcast because oh yeah I missed one I, I did have a substitute for one so Jay thank you very much for that when, when you did that one but I think we will be around for uh, the rest of this season and next season we've we've you know we, we can reveal in sky sports style that we have agreed to do it next season we may think about changing the timing of it but hopefully we're around for another hundred more it's it's a real pleasure doing this with you and listenership is growing extremely rapidly at the moment so for some reason there are many many fools out there that like this show and uh, and it makes it all worthwhile yeah thank you very much for listening and if you're a new listener in the last couple of weeks as statistically there's a jolly good chance you are uh, welcome board and and hope you stick around for the next 100 episodes and i'd like to give a massive shout out to all the people that have been with us and supporting us since the very first episode of whom there are quite a few still listening and particularly like say thanks to awate for being the first person ever to be excited about a new episode of the rank cast coming out a big thanks to at bliss bubbly and at happy hero for supporting us uh, in the early days first first few twitter shout outs and stuff really really immensely valid i could list loads of loads of listeners at MUFC Jeff for example fires in the questions week after week it's it's much much appreciated we're, we're available to, to chat with on Twitter at United Rant if you're after Ed and at UTD Rantcast if you're after me please feel free to throw up a comment on unitedrant.co.uk where there'll be a post for the show every week and then as always I say this every week but it really does make a difference to us if you're so inclined to chuck up a nice review on iTunes uh, that's always much appreciated so thank you very much for listening to however many of the last hundred of these you've listened to and we hope you enjoy the next few see you next week